Does picking an outfit have you running a little too fashionably late? We get it. Great taste takes time. That's why Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery, has your back with the largest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, delivered in under 60 minutes. Convenience never goes out of style. So if you need to spend some extra time in the mirror instead of at the store, download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Welcome to Almost Famous Minute, where we're discussing the 2000 Cameron Crowe film Almost Famous, one minute at a time. I'm Eric Nash from Watchmen Minute. And I'm Andy from The Next Reel and of the Marvel Movie Minute. And I'm Pete Wright, also of The Next Reel and the Marvel Movie Minute. Hey, great to have you, Pete and Andy. How you doing? Good. We are thrilled yeah. to be here. Uh, this is an exciting movie to talk about, and it's uh, and there's no superheroes, so right. you know. It's... <laughs> I kind of don't know what to do with myself. Yeah, like what do you do if there isn't a suit or a, some sort of you know cosmic blast? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're this 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 movie uh, for the movies by minutes uh, continuum is a little more on the Mean Girls side, or you know, it's, it's, right. it's not all <laughs> shoot 'em up. We no, it's here yeah. to my dinner with Andre minute. Has that yeah, been done right. yet? <laughs> right. Right. There's a, there's a, there's the Marvel movie minute on one end. There's like uh, my dinner with Andre in 2001 <laughs> on the other end. And you're somewhere in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this is uh, week seven. It start, it's uh, minute 19. And it starts with William walking down the ramp and ends with him talking with one of the girls at the top of the ramp. So it's a rampy minute. <laughs> it's a wet rampy minute wet, yeah yeah there is some wetness there moist yes <laughs> yeah we've talked uh, about that quite a bit on our show because uh, on marvel movie minute because it's you know it's such a hollywood trope too it's, it's not a trope really it's just a hollywood technique we'll say yeah. in filmmaking too mm -hmm. you know when you're filming at night you get those great reflections off of things when you uh, when you get it wet and, and light it up and, and you know so it it's a wet parking lot does it need to be wet no maybe it rained it doesn't look cloudy but you know that's okay it still makes it look beautiful you know what i was thinking about that though andy because in this case i actually think it's good that it was wet because uh if you look at that shot you know here we are about eight seconds in and we get that reverse shot looking up the ramp we have uh, essentially a, a vertical plane coming down, which is the dark sky. And if there wasn't a lot of wet, that reflection, we would have essentially a reverse vertical plane climbing up uh, toward her. And she would just be this red and white speck in the <laughs> <Floating>. middle. <laughs> I think we need to be able to see the street. So here I am coming to the defense of wet streets <laughs> cause rain in movies right here. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm against it. I'm just saying it's very common and sometimes doesn't make a sense story-wise, but that's okay. You you don't have to say you're against it. The picture we print. know you have a position. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, I'm going to I'm going to fall in the middle too here, so. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm neither pro nor con. Right in the middle. I just think she's a speck, but she's great, and she's like lingering there. You know, I love that whole that whole vibe, and that's that's sort of the vibe I get from the entire movie. It's it's you know she is representative right here as she stands at the top and tilts her head sideways of how I feel about the entire movie. When I think about Almost Famous, I just sort of smile and I tilt to the side and my head goes sideways, and it just gives me a good warm feeling. <laughs> Well, okay, so and, and so I have a, a, a contextual question. So, okay. so mom dropped him off very just a little bit before this, right? Like last mm -hmm. week's minute, I think. Oh yeah, um, yeah. with a fantastic "Don't take drugs" <laughs> moment, which is so great. Uh, so this is so we're still, I'm presumably early. Everybody's arriving at the concert, and uh, and normally people aren't lingering in the back, and so that's why she kind of sees him. And as, as as somebody will find out later, there's some interest in why is somebody already at the door? Is he somebody famous? I'm assuming that's kind of what catches her eye. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good take. Um, you know, I mean, 
it, it does come about that, you know, I, I think they real, she, the, the various girls that we get introduced here sh- shortly over the course of this week, um, you know, they do kind of come to realize, oh, he's pretty on the young side and <laughs> a little unsure about himself in certain ways. And do you, do you think she knows that he's a, a journalist? Like, can she hear him? Do you think? They seem to react like when when he says you're not on the list the second time he's like go yeah. up and wait with the girls, and they all kind of laugh. It seems like they're they can hear. I guess I don't know. Yeah. Well, they know the door's closing on them at least. I mean that's yeah that's, that's yeah. an obvious thing you can tell from that distance that uh, they can they can make True. that much out. Right, True. Right. Right. Yeah. I get the feeling though that she's sort of curious because like this is n- not just an era of these big rock and roll bands, but this is an era of um you know we've we've all i think we've already heard uh i've, I've already got a hunter s thompson or maybe that's later yeah. and i'm cheating mm-hmm. um that yeah. uh that this is an era of of the sort of revolutionary journalists you know and and that there might be some allure to standing in the back not only seeing the bands but seeing who draws the bands or who the bands draw mm-hmm. that is going to come and profile them and showcase them and make them bigger yeah, and and to that end, it's I, I think it's an interesting. I mean, we're we're in a kind of a an interesting set of minutes here because in context of the title, I mean, it works so well on so many levels because it's like yeah. almost famous. It's like the band is almost famous. Stillwater, yeah. you know, they they're calling it their almost famous tour. We kind of uh, see them as they're kind of rising to potentially more fame, and, and maybe this Rolling Stone article could help. Who knows? Um, but. You know, all of these people are kind of hanging on the coattails of the famous people. And here he is as a journalist who's trying to get in. They don't want him to get too close, all that. But it's kind of like he's almost famous. They're almost famous. They kind of hang out with the band. It's it's interesting the way that title ends up representing so many different elements within the movie. And I, I think as the introduction introduction to the Band-Aids here, um, certainly more in the next minute as, as the conversation with them continues, we really get a sense of kind of their perspective. And even when we were talking, I, or when you guys were talking and when we saw earlier in the film, when, when William is talking to, uh, I'm going to blank on his name, Lester, right? Um, Lester Bangs. Over. Yeah. Lester Bangs. Um, he's kind of in that same position where he's, he's, you know, considered America's greatest rock critic. So he's kind of almost famous. And so it's, it's interesting the way that all of these people are kind of, you know, kind of tapping into, something that is kind of this this art and it's like how do you really how do you define that and i i don't know i think it's a really interesting moment that we have here as we kind of get to hang out with with these uh with him as he's trying to get in but certainly with the women as as we're going to learn more about them yeah it's a pretty interesting take on on the title of of this movie and and yet you know it was such a the 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 director or the directors the extended cut is called untitled because that's what it was called for so long. And that's what Cameron Crow wanted. Um, he wasn't crazy about a ton of alternate titles that were <laughs> proffered to him, you know, from multiple different sources. I think one even, it, but it may just have been a, maybe been a more recent thing that was done for some funny reasons by the, uh, the much bigger star nowadays than, than he is later on in the movie. Um, or at the time of this, uh, the shooting of this movie uh, in 2000, uh, but Jimmy Fallon. Um, mm. There's even a list supposedly that that was written by him that uh, has has some pretty horrible yet also funny <laughs> uh, names. We'll certainly have to get that get that available on on uh, on our Facebook group and so forth at some point. But um, but uh, yeah, almost famous. I mean, for for that being the best alternate to <laughs> what he wanted. Uh, title. I mean, it does fit so well. You're right. It has has these different these different layers. Do you like Untitled? Would that have worked for you, Eric? I I think that would have made it even more of would have been clearer. Maybe that it would have been an an auto more autobiographical if it had been put out that way. I think um, hmm. it it would have just drawn people to the idea that oh this this is really is his his autobiography autobiopic <laughs> autobiopic i can't, I can't <laughs> thing um but um but of course you know i mean they, they didn't he didn't use his own name though either though uh 
you know, has this alternate versions of himself as well as the band um, that he follows here. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not sold on that having been the actual title for you know uh, what was released, the theatrical cut. I have a hard time retconning that. I struggle with that. Yeah, yeah, me too. And and I think my struggle is. I mean, maybe less because I, because I actually think that your perspective on it is actually pretty interesting uh, as a take of Coven and, uh, you know, autobiographical story, calling it untitled, I think could be interesting. I think my struggle is the fact that in the film industry, so often when films are getting underway, they are kind of listed as untitled or, you know, the, the untitled, you know, Disney animation project or the yeah, untitled. Right, yeah. Uh, Marvel That's movie or whatever things, it's yeah. it's it's a it's a big thing because they just haven't figured out exactly what it is yet uh-huh. and I feel like I feel like there's this meta level to having it titled untitled that would have just felt kind of awkward and uh-huh. I just don't think it would have worked very well if they had stuck with that so I think uh, you know s- you know smarter decisions um, coming up with the title almost famous ended up working better in his favor and I'm fine I actually think it works really well in context of it being a director's cut. Mm-hmm. Cause I think there's something oh, yeah. interesting about the director's yeah, cut. Yeah. I like it that way too. Untitled. Yeah. No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the only issue I have with that though, is that it's just, it just makes, uh, I think, uh, it, it, it find, finding, finding it online and so, so, so forth. Uh, you know, whether right. you're calling it director's cut or you're calling it untitled, uh, you know, it's not in a sense, it's really not called on almost famous at that point the way it's released that way right right right. you don't you don't you you ought not find it on a store shelf (laughs) those 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 old things um store shelves uh uh uh, listed that way and and what it's listed in on netflix or amazon or whatever um i forget but uh well, and I think it's, I mean, obviously the marketing team, I think is savvy enough to know that that's just never going to work because I mean, even the copy I have, it's called almost famous director's cut or, uh, you know, I think it's almost okay. famous, famous bootleg cut, right? Yeah. I think is what they call it as far as the disc packaging. Although when the movie starts, it actually says untitled. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I know the bootleg is mentioned in there. I just think untitled is a little bit cheeky toward... Uh, maybe a bit too cheeky of a play um, toward those who are deeply in the know in music, right? Like, okay, yeah, like that—that that sort of artistry of the mm-hmm. era that says, you know, we just our our music is too complex, man. You're just not going to get it. There's no title that could encapsulate what our music <laughs> is all about, you know. Like, or- words are too small for our ideas, and and so I I think that's just I I don't think enough people truck in that world around this movie and they would miss it and they would miss the point and i think that's why like almost famous you know it it may be a little bit too on the nose for some but i i think it makes the movie more approachable Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. I think that's actually an interesting point. The fact that I mean, this was his fourth film. You know, he could have also yeah. called it Cameron Co- Crow Four. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, Andy. Yes. <laughs> that's the episode title. Uh, that's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, but no, it, it, something you either one of you might have just said. I think uh, made me think about a couple different things. Uh, song titles when they're working on them in the studio. Sure. And for for instance, tomorrow never knows. The Beatles, well, like my my essentially my favorite Beatles song, tomorrow never knows. Um, had like you know like like just like Mark Twelve or I forget exactly what the the title the working title was. It wasn't untitled, but it was something yeah. something know, else that, that was very utilitarian. Yeah, um, right. In, in its name, and then the other one is a Genesis song off of their album Duke called guide vocal and that's what they just put down because that's what it was yeah. it was a guide vocal in the studio <laughs> really it was, yeah it was a vocal that is awesome that was to guide them in the creation of the song i just you know there are little moments like that in the music world that i just mm-hmm. i always love because it's just such a strange thing mm-hmm. and there yeah a lot of bands have those moments where it's just like that's an odd name for a song but you know it's like oh okay i can see why they did it now it's kind of fun <laughs> very cool 
Well, speaking of music, mm. um, you know, my note here for I mean for this for this whole week we hear uh, Jethro Tull's song "Teacher," right? Coming and going a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. sometimes it's like so much in the background because they're all the way up at the top of the ramp um and it's yeah and, and the music is coming from behind this door and the door is closing and opening and that's when you're hearing it louder when it's open um but uh it, are, are there are there thoughts that either of you had about the band jethro tall or uh well, Pete, do you have anything specific? Well, I'm a, I'm, I, I don't know. I, I'm not a, I don't even know. See, I guess I'm not enough of a fan because I don't know what you call Jethro Tull fans, Tull heads, <laughs> Tull heads. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I'm enough of a fan, uh, you know, to know that I, I had a bunch of, of uh, Tull albums, and I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of the music, and so this again, I don't know. I guess it, it's a sign that. Um, you know, it's just how well Cameron Crowe does in acclimating, you know, and, and building that emotional connection for those of us through the music who are fans of the music at the time. Like, it is, uh, it, it's amazing just how sold I am on this movie because of how I feel about the music. They don't, characters don't even need to say anything. I'm already with them. Uh, like this is this is a movie that has goodwill to burn because of how you know how adept Crow is at using the music. You're going to have a lot of music to talk about as yeah. you go through this yeah. movie and because actually, it's, it's been sparse at points here so far. Yeah, you have. I mean, by this point, it's gone by where there hasn't been any music in it. It's like, oh my goodness. Yeah, so, what's yeah, going this on? Is, this is Cameron yeah. Crowe. Yeah, there's there's just so much music in this film, which is, I mean, it's it's thrilling to listen to, uh, you know, all the stuff that mm-hmm. that uh, Cameron Crowe, I mean, he's always been somebody who puts out really exciting soundtracks, even if his movies might suck. I, I think his soundtracks <laughs> in general are just wonderful listens. And uh, I mean, this one being about kind of his kind of a biographical story, mm-hmm growing up i mean he puts in a lot of music that he kind of grew up with and that he was writing about and so i mean it's just the soundtrack is just riddled with music there's so much stuff so you're gonna have a lot of good conversations i this is i i, I grew up in a house where we didn't listen to uh rock music <laughs> it was a it was kind of an odd uh upbringing as far as uh the music um very much kind of folk music sort of fans uh, my parents were so i didn't really it was it was my kind of college uh, explosion kind of trying to you know learn about what real music was and uh <laughs> the college explosion I, I, that's right no no and so this is a song that i definitely have heard uh, and love but i don't think i could say like i know i like i couldn't pinpoint i wouldn't have been able to tell you that it was jethro toll oh, yeah. um performing um yeah it's just i just i did not know but um, but you know, just doing my research for the for the minute and stuff, I knew that that was the song that was playing, and I'm like, oh, and then I listened to it, I'm like, oh, of course that's the song. I know exactly what that song is, but but and it's a great song. This was this was part of the collection in our house, right? I mean, this was you know, Benefit and uh, Aqualung and you know, Songs from the Woods. Good God, Songs from the Woods. That was my first driving, my first car was windows down and it was back and forth between you know uh, songs from the wood and rush and um and so like this this music just gives me the chills when i hear it again after so long and you know um all of this stuff comes directly from my mom she was a nut for this stuff from this to canned heat to i mean uh, all of this music is is was all over our place i know andy was you, you grew up with a bunch of bohemians so <laughs> uh, but but Cameron, when you hear this, uh, Andy's the one who said that sometimes your scores are great, but your movies suck. So I just want that for right. the record. <laughs> I didn't I didn't yeah. say that. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> uh, he's he's had a he's had a rough patch. Let's just say that. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, for me, for Jethro Tall, though. Um, I essentially only grew up with one best of that my of uh, uh, on vinyl that my dad had and and got it you know had it taped onto you know recorded you know uh, uh, transferred onto a tape you know that I that, that I'd listened to a good bit but this wasn't a song on it though. Mm. Um, so oh wow! This, this was pretty new to me you know and over the years not you know again the, the first time I heard or saw the movie, first time I saw saw the movie and maybe even the next three or four 
I don't think I really paid too much attention to just who was singing this one, but um, and it's not on the it's not on the uh, official um, soundtrack. I'm pretty I'm pretty sure. Ooh, I should double check that. Um, but um, you know, for me, it it uh, yeah, I, I I'm not I'm definitely not a Jethro Tall fan. I'm not against them. Um, and I actually should go <laughs> Stand out and firmly against Jethro and, and Tull. Who would do that? <laughs> certainly feel like I should go and get some, you know, on whether whether it's CD or more albums and and get them into my collection or or digital, yeah. what have you. But um, yeah, I mean, and, and, you know, but, but, I, but I like the song, having heard it many times now in in preparation uh, for this for this show. Um, I I have have been enjoying this song by by I'm also just just a best of type of person for them. Yeah. Well, this is one of those songs that I, I feel like what Cameron Crowe does often because he is such a fan of music is he doesn't like have a composer come in and do an official yeah. score. He'll yeah. use songs like this exclusively as just kind of background moments where, I mean, I wouldn't have even been able to tell you that this was the song that I was listening to um, because I'm usually so focused on scenes and the music is designed to be just this you know, music that's purely background. Um, but what it does really nicely that I think is is uh, is beautifully done here is just the way that we're hearing kind of the echoes of it kind of coming yeah. through. And certainly over the next couple of minutes, you'll hear how kind of some, I mean, he picked a perfect song, I think, for this moment, because just the way mm-hmm. that some of the, the uh, guitar um, kind of hits in the moments, it actually feels almost like a score. It's, it's beautifully done. Um, now, also, though, so you know... Um... Cameron's wife, Nancy Wilson, right? right. Mm-hmm. She she did she did, and actually I think uh, Peter Frampton with her a little bit, but actually more Peter Frampton for the Stillwater songs, um, definitely, um, and, and her uh, for those songs. But there are the like three or four songs that are uh, were done were were new instrumentals, yeah, for for this movie, you know, at uh, a few different points. Yeah, yeah, so. she she absolutely shines there too. Yeah. I, I think her contributions to his movies in that you know specifically in that lilting guitar um, uh, instrumental areas, uh-huh. she's exceptional. She's fantastic. Yeah, she's done that uh, not just for him, but hasn't she, did she also do some of that like on uh, Magnolia? I feel like she's done it for a yeah. few different directors where she pops Ooh, in. Did she as... do it for Magnolia? Um, I mean, the big thing for Magnolia for me is Amy Mann. Oh, that's who I'm thinking of. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and, yep, then, yep, and then totally. with, and with the uh, producer, multi-instrumentalist guy, uh, John Bryan. Yes, yes, yes. Yep. Right. Okay. Not, totally right. right. That's who I was thinking of. My bad. Nope. Um, do we want to talk about uh, uh, Freddy? I don't, I, don't oh. think, I don't think anyone actually calls him Freddy, but that's that's what he gets in IMDb. Right, uh, right. Script. Yeah. He's great. Uh, played by Mark Pellington. You know what's so funny? I I've known who Mark Pellington was, but I didn't realize that this was the same Mark Pellington until I looked him up. I'm like, oh, this is the director Mark Pellington. Like, like that kind of tripped me out that this is the guy who I mean he he directed some interesting movies. Uh, you know, he kind of stopped directing interesting movies and directed some bad movies. But I thought Arlington Road was a really interesting movie. The Mothman Prophecies was a pretty interesting movie. Henry Poole is here is bad. Um, I did enjoy the last word, which he did a couple years ago, uh, and then I missed all the other ones. But uh, yeah, I didn't know that he acted too, and so it was kind of exciting to see him pop up here and go, "Oh, this is the guy who's directed some of those movies." Uh-huh. Yeah, and I think I think you were saying at the beginning though the the music videos as well. So so the big one the big one that stands out with a relation to Cameron Crowe is Pearl Jam and and Jeremy. Oh uh, sure, yeah. Oh, I didn't catch that. I didn't know he did that. Yeah, I forgot he did. I mean, he's done a ton of music videos and is still doing them. Wow, I'm just looking through his list here. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, stuff, yeah. he is like, look at the. I, I, this just screams sort of association with the Cameron Crowe kind of music gestalt, from Pearl Jam to Alice in Chains to Nine Inch Nails to Bruce Springsteen. Like, I, this just feel, <laughs> feels of a piece to uh, to to that sort of bit of music. Um, and you too. Wow, he's all over the place. 
Well, he's one of those directors who, uh, you know, he kind of flows with the the vibe of the kind of the gestalt of the musical, like what's popular. And so he's, you know, he's in the 90s, U2, Pearl, Pearl Jam, In Excess. And then in the in the 2000s, he's doing Keen and Foo Fighters. And then in in the, uh, you know, the 2010s, he's doing Kid Rock and Linkin Park and Demi mm-hmm. Lovato and Imagine Dragons. So it's it's interesting the way that he really does kind of uh, stay current with his uh, with his work, and I think he's great as Freddie. <laughs> really enjoy him. <laughs> Wasn't it? Uh, it's kind of based off of a. I, my understanding is that the character is pretty much based on a guy who who Cameron Crowe really did kind of always run into. Isn't that right? Am I getting that my mm. facts straight? Now that you say that, that does sound a little familiar. Yeah, I want to mm. say that there was a guy that he always ran into. <laughs> Because, I mean, this is, where is this? This is the stadium down in San Diego and where he would go. And Cameron Crowe wanted to film here because mm-hmm. this was the place where he would actually, like the first place that he went and, and started all this. And and the guy would never let him in. And I think that's uh, really funny that he kind of patterned this guy after him. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so his big phrase is, not on the list. <laughs> He, he, he adds in before it a couple or one, at least one of the times you are not on your not on the list, but, but yeah. definitely just just the four words not on the list, I think, is a interesting uh, part. And yeah. I, I could see I could see people going as him and just saying that for like a Halloween or some other kind of <laughs> cosplay <laughs> costuming. But with that costume, you think yeah. he's he's he looks, uh, you know, equal parts bouncer and real estate agent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you won the yellow jacket. <laughs> right? You are the top seller this month. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> Not on the listing. We also have to talk about the Cream Magazine issue. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, uh, but, but real, real quick, oh, yeah, back sorry, to the list, though. So then yeah. my question is, is how do you get on a list? <laughs> and and why, the, yeah. why why didn't William and through with Lester and with Lester's help and so forth? You know, is that just a learning thing that Lester wanted him to go through? Maybe that's a good question. Like, yeah, was well, it a test? I, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I I my hunch is that this was a bit of uh, a bit of a test, a bit of an exercise of journalistic entrepreneurialism. Yeah. Um, you're not on the list, and you're a 15 year old kid, and you've got to figure it out. And how are you going to get the story? Like you get on the list if the band puts you on the list, and if you're a journalist the, that doesn't know the band, you're not on the list. So get the story anyway. Um, and and so you know this is the that first kind of trial by fire, and uh, that that's one of the things that I think really is I find really endearing about just his performance is that you know William is able to to kind of pull it off because he is naive and innocent and doesn't recognize that it's a trial by fire. Like there's nothing that communicates he is being, um, you know, that he, he's nervous about this at all. He's a journalist. I'm a journalist for Cream Magazine. I will be through this door. You know, I love it. Hmm. Um. So, so, uh, um, Andy, you were saying the magazine. This, oh, this yeah. cover of Cream because we already had we already had one other cover of Cream, <laughs> but uh, and I certainly. F- was able to find that one. I found this one too. Did you, did you actually? I did. Cause yeah. I, cause I was so curious about the Alice yeah. Cooper's alcohol yeah. cookbook. And yeah. the <laughs> for World did, did you find the website that actually lists out the whole thing? I, I at, didn't. At I, flashbook, flashback.com. It's not with a C. C-K oh, okay. And a flashback it's with, without the C, but, but yeah, it, it goes on and on. I mean, there's, there's a bunch of interesting drinks in here. <laughs> <laughs> But well, being a being... Lizard, lizard skin, oh. pull out half of a large orange, pour in one large jigger of brandy and flame brandy, extinguish after a moment, drink. Wow. And then we got the thing for hangovers right after that. Immediately right after that. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah, uh, you need called, that. It's called the tuna fish malted. Oh, God. <laughs> just imagine oh, what that might be. I don't want to imagine. No. <laughs> Jeez. Oh uh, yeah, no. Alice Cooper. I mean, living in Phoenix, you know, he. This is okay. where he. Uh, this is where he is, and so it's. Uh, it's. He's kind of a Phoenix staple, so it's kind of fun to see him pop up on the cover here. 
And uh, and yeah, kind of looking at this at this magazine, I was wondering. I'm like, are they pulling a real magazine, or is this kind of a fictionalized one that he made for the movie? And sure enough, it's the real thing. And uh, it's just kind of funny to look at this. I mean, this was uh, June 1973, um, and at the top of it, uh, you have Dolly Parton accosted by hippies. Which <laughs> is, <laughs> I don't know. I just I I love these magazines with all the kind of the crazy uh, headings and everything. So. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting magazine. When I can't remember where the previous one was. When it was, was it when he was kind of the montage as he was getting into getting into the music. Right after that, right, right. Uh, it's it's for when he changes age. When it when we jump from, ah. I think we figured out uh, like late sixty eight, early sixty nine, um, when he's eleven years old to now uh, four years later, roughly um, when he's fifteen. And it was he, he's he's up on like a, a, on like a uh, uh, a hangout place at, at his high school, you know, up up on a not on a roof exactly, but on a courtyardy thing. And he's just he's just walking around out there, and he pulls out out of his bag. He pulls out another version, another another edition that is gotcha, of, uh, gotcha. of cream, okay. and he starts to look at it and read it a little bit while he's just hanging out at a at a parapet. If I that's very bold these days yeah. to say <laughs> to throw that to bandy that word about yeah <laughs> uh, cool um, but I, I like at the very bottom you know sticking with the alice cooper talk it says reader poll results alice punk of the year mm, right so back yeah. then in 73 we have it in written form punk you know being referred to a musician you know before punk starts the genre you know we we have proto punk around this time with with um uh oh who's the um iggy iggy the yep. the yeah. grandfather the of punk he's doing proto punk supposedly is what a lot of people indicate but um but alice apparently at, at the time at the time though of the early mid 70s <laughs> Apparently is considered the punk of the year, and that and that's probably more the the you know usage of punk as a punk kid, and and you know it's it's not really that genre yet. I don't think. If anyone has any better take on that, I'd love to hear. Well, this really this was the magazine that kind of defined the the yeah. phrase punk rock. So yeah, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I I yeah, I'm curious about that. Um, the, the only other thing I want to point out is that it is a, 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 a meager 75 cents. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually found it on a website. I, I don't, I don't know if it was an eBay or it was like a British eBay type of place. Um, but you could buy it. Uh, what is the, is it a pence in, uh, in British pounds when oh. it's just a penny? Mm. Is that what they call it? A pence? That sounds but you can buy it like for that much. So you can actually still get copies of this for uh it's from beatchapter.com you can buy it for for one pence wow there you go yeah 10 pence sterling is 14.3 cents right now is 10 pence that's a tuppence right 10 pence is it 100 pence sterling is a buck 43 <laughs> let's go ask mary Pop Pop mary poppins <laughs> <laughs> mary poppins was a punk <laughs> oh, I could be the new title. <laughs> you know, something something I kind of had this weird thing about is besides Estrella, as we as we is the name we learn. Uh, next minute, but we actually have her talking this minute, at least one of these two lines, but it seems like there's these two other girls that we don't, besides like next minute, we don't, or minute or two even, um, we don't really ever see again later in the movie. They're, they're not, they're not the, um, what we find out to be band-aids or groupies, um, um, that, that we ever really, we, we get, do, we, we do get another one or two band-aids much later or not much, but. A good bit later in the movie, but um, these two other girls that uh, that we can see here that are a little bit further away from this uh, Estrella, who is the one that seems to be, I think, is the one that says both the lines at the end. Yeah. After yeah. all, I really don't think the other one, 
Penny Lane with the with the fabulous yeah. coat that is talking to those two other girls. Um, I don't think she's the one that ends after all that says uh, we won't bite. I'm pretty sure it's Estrella that says we won't bite. And then who are you with? I think yes. it is because they don't want to ruin that yeah. entrance of Penny Lane. Yeah. Well, and it's kind of it, it is kind of funny though because even Estrella seems like she's got her back to him. Like he kind of comes back up the ramp. Yeah, right. And like they all have their backs to him, mm-hmm. but somebody starts talking to him. So it seems it, it's kind of funky the way that the dialogue happens. And I mean, her face is pretty dark and shadowed, yeah. so she could have it kind of like a side eye kind of going right. sort of she's thing. She's kind of turning her head towards yeah. him as she as she does seem to talk with him, but but she keeps his, her back to him though at the same time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I definitely don't think that it's it's Penny since she is by this point she's all the way off with those other two just kind of chatting them up. She it's really weird. I didn't catch this before, but her head is you see at you see her face at 49 and it's it's looking down the street, down the out the the mm-hmm. dock, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And then she turns her head. I mean, it's not just dark there's no indication right. that she's talking to him. How, why does he answer? Yeah. Like, this is actually weird blocking. Like, I don't, I'm not a fan of this. All of a sudden. Minus well, a tenth of a point. I, I think he, he he's he's uh, something of an outsider, as we've learned earlier, because of his younger age and, at school. So maybe he's just kind of used to people not looking at him when they're talking to him. <laughs> Well, what's funny about that, though, is theoretically, they're all kind of the same age, right? I mean, at least we know, well, we think Penny is approximately his age, maybe a year older, based on their conversation that'll be later in the movie. And, you know, I I, I don't know what the ages are of the other ones as we'll kind of meet them, but I'm guessing they're all kind of around, they're all in that same age. I would say somewhere between the 17 and, you know, 23 or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd certainly agree with that. Um, now, now, so this is, uh, do we pr- pronounce it as Estrella, Estrella or Estrella? I thought it was Estrella. Yeah, because I kind of felt like is that what she is that what she says? I'm just so used to saying Estrella because yeah, yeah. 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 I, I definitely that's how you would say it. Spanish, but. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, but so this is a she's played by Bijou Phillips. It's uh, one uh, just yeah Phillips. exactly. Uh, one uh, of the great of the bit of uh, it, it's just sort of fantastic. Another fantastic bit of casting to to have John Phillips' daughter in this in this yeah. movie, and even in this in this role is is really uh, adorable. Well, especially given <laughs> what what her earlier teen years were like. <laughs> I don't know if you two either of you had read about it or had ever heard. She. She she, she, she got had on a, her own. She had her own apartment at age. 14. Yeah, she was emancipated at like what fourteen <laughs> yeah. or something. Like, yeah, yeah, she's oh, she was tough. <laughs> she's tough. Jeez. Well, really? well, in the previous five years, she technically was a foster kid. Neither of her parents, uh, John Phillips or um, uh, Genevieve uh, Wait, yeah, W A I T E, um, yeah, I, I believe probably a, a French woman. I would assume um, South South African. She oh, was South, South African. Okay, South African. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, apparently both of them were deemed unfit to raise her. <laughs> wow. Um, and so she had her, had her had her foster years for about five years, it sounds like. And then like at age 13, 14-ish there, she then uh, was able to be on her own, amazingly. That's crazy. Yeah, when her life at 14 is better than her parents would have been for her, yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a sign they're doing it wrong. Somebody's not wired right. But uh, she gets into the New York uh, club scene at that uh, unfortunate early young age, and yeah. there are drugs, drug issues, and so forth, and other things. I, I imagine too. But yeah, because I mean, she was modeling and everything too. Like she had yeah. started yeah. She making uh, some money. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, and I mean, I, I I know she's acted in other things. I haven't seen. I don't think I've seen anything else that she's in. Although looking at her, oh no, I take that back. I saw the door in the floor. Um, which was made a few years after this. Um, But I'm most curious to watch Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are undead, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which the title alone is the only reason I'd probably watch that one. Uh, 
Yeah, and she's she's not. I mean, she's she's an interesting band aid, and she's kind of an odd choice, I think, to kind of mm-hmm. set set these ladies up because she's not a big uh, band aid. Like she'll, she'll yeah, she doesn't of, have a lot of other uh, yeah, big scenes after this. There's, I mean, there's right. times when she talks a little bit, and when she does have some lines, but but they're oh. not too critical in the plot. As, as much as right oh, but i think that's exactly that. why they have her as as and yeah. i'll call her one of the lesser band-aids yeah they uh, like she the reason i like her so much here is because i like kate hudson's introduction so much better as a result like yeah. clearly we have now we're going to see the level of sophistication that comes with being a band-aid <laughs> Yes, right, right. Like we have She's to like... have her in order to see in order to understand the next minute's conversation so <laughs> She's like the smaller Band-Aid that you get when you just like tear a cuticle. Yeah, or like, yeah, or like the butterfly Band-Aid, you know, the one that goes around the tip of your finger. No, no, no. No, that's Anna Paquin. She's, she's the butterfly Band-Aid. <laughs> Anna Paquin is the butterfly Band-Aid. Yes. Yes. There are way too many show titles in this single episode. We've got to move on. Comedy gold. Um, um, yeah, so, I mean, like, like I said, though, there's the there's the two lines um the, with the second one being the um, or no the first one being we won't bite but uh it's yeah I mean, you know and and then his response to the other one though is uh who are you with with uh i'm with myself and that's where we end um do, do either you have last little comments on that uh little end part there or anything else in the rest of the minute that we somehow missed I, I don't think I have anything else. I just love how awkward Patrick Fugit is yeah. right there at the end as he's standing there at the end of the ramp, unsure what to do, responding to her. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I like that he's he's still there, uh, uncertain, and yet he's. I think it's still that little bit of journalistic confidence that has him not yeah. leaving that ramp. I like it. It's such an awkward way to for this minute to split, having this just headshot on him awkwardly staring just past the camera in the middle distance. It's it is uh-huh. the most awkward framing uh, of an awkward moment, uh, and uh, I'm well, here for it. It's perfect for his awkwardness, and because yeah. he's like he's unsure, but he's confident. I mean, it's the exact same thing that we had earlier in the movie when he's. Uh, and forgive me if if this <laughs> I, I lose track of what's in which cut, but when he's when he's saying goodbye to Lester, and they're just kind of standing on the street corner, they're like, "Okay, goodbye," and Lester is like standing there, and he's just <laughs> William's standing there too. And, you know, just it's this awkwardness, like he doesn't just walk yeah. away when he says goodbye and like go away. He's sta- still standing there and just waiting. And I, I think there's something <laughs> strong, actually, about being willing to just stand and wait as opposed to just taking yes. it and, and running. Well, and don't forget, I mean, that that Lester is such a great we've talked about how great it is that he's a he's kind of that mentor figure because Lester is William grown up like yeah. that's right. he is that level that's what you're going to turn into and it's not great uh it's <laughs> it's not a great path that you're on so we'll see how the rest of the movie continues to shape uh young William and his future career indeed <laughs> okay um so we here on Monday coming to the end of this episode on Monday uh we have our Usual uh, question to you guys, to you both. Uh, uh, Andy, if you want to go first, that'd be fine. Um, but it's the ranking of the four bands that are believed to be the, that make up uh, Stillwater. Have you, have you had, feel like you had enough time to. I have. Figure out. Yes, indeed. Yeah. It's, you know, it's uh, like I said earlier in the episode, my musical upbringing, as far as this, like, real rock and roll it wasn't very strong and so i i kind of came to all of this music later in my life and so i can't speak very strongly to to all of these guys because i haven't delved too deep into all of them but far and away led zeppelin is number one i just i i just i mean honestly i don't think there's a bad song that they've done it's just a fantastic group amazing music second i'd say the eagles i really enjoy a lot of their stuff i i think that they've got some some songs that just really stick with you. And uh, so I, I'd pick them as second. Uh, I do Almond Brothers third and Leonard Skinner last. And mm-hmm. I, again, I think that's only because I'm just, I haven't listened to probably as much Leonard Skinner, but uh, the songs I, I've listened to, I think are great, but, um, but uh, they're just not, uh, they're not at the top for me. 
Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, mm. I I got uh, I'm I think uh, yeah Led Zeppelin. Uh, it's a it's a tough like it's a three way tie for first and then the Almond Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not to say anything about the Almond Brothers. It's really not. But like, I was introduced to the Almond Brothers late, and I, it was one of those things. Like, I heard about it. I think from my aunt who had, uh, I, I don't know, probably, um, I don't know, brothers and sisters uh, in in her car, and she had a T top, and she took the top off of the car, and we listened to that, and I loved it. But I'd never seen the cover for so for years. As, as a young teenager, I thought, like, why would they name a family Almond Brothers? And, like, what's with that? And so I just didn't have a connection. When I started playing the guitar, uh, I rediscovered the Almond Brothers and, and loved them again. But, you know, to start, it was it was Led Zeppelin and uh, actually I would say Leonard Skinner and then Eagles and, and the Almond Brothers. Uh, fourth. Definitely a Zep head. <laughs> a Zep head. More than a tall yeah. head. Yeah, more than a... Uh, ooh, see, tall isn't in there. Tall would... I'm a tall head first. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Zeppelin is definitely uh, winning the race at this point. There's been there's been one, maybe two others, where one, one of the other three have beaten them out, apparently, seemingly, amongst the guests so far. But, yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Um, so, and is there uh, some quick uh, ways for people to find either of you guys, both of you guys? And uh, yes, certainly. We um, the next reel is the the film podcast that kind of everything um, falls under. So, if you go to thenextreel.com, you can learn about all the different shows that we do, uh, including the Marvel Movie Minute, which is like this one. We're analyzing the films films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. One minute at a time. That's a lot of minutes to go through. <laughs> Andy, uh, as we are talking right now, as you're inviting people to check out the Marvel Movie Minute, at these shows are airing, we're saying sometime in October. What are you and I doing right now? We're probably at a point where we are uh, starting some preliminary episode recordings for uh, for The Incredible Hulk. I'd say that's probably about where we are, gearing up oh, for season two. This is getting very exciting. <laughs> season two of Incredible Hulk with with Bill Bixby. Wow, cool! <laughs> <laughs> you know, some people would probably no, prefer some that. Some people, I was going to say, there's that joke. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's yeah, that's great. Uh, that, that's a major, amazing, uh, just blow your mind undertaking that you guys are doing, and, and uh, I salute you for it. Please don't remind me. Yeah. <laughs> we are somebody I, I was talking to somebody about this and and they said oh my god you're like the george rr R. martin of movies by minute podcast <laughs> we'll never finish yes are you gonna live long enough to actually finish this project <laughs> oh wow oh great okay so uh this was uh monday and we're glad to have uh pete and andy on uh and i believe they'll be back for wednesday is that correct I sure hope so. At this Are point, we invited? Yes. So. Yeah. Oh, I, I hope I hope you can be. So we got I'll plan right. on We're it. Ramp put a stake in it. About. <laughs> ramping up. Yeah. Okay. So uh, this was Monday, and we'll be back on Wednesday. Until then, it's all happening. It's all, it's all happening. Happening. I am a golden god. Welcome to Woodstock Nation. Your host, Marla Davies. Hey, it's Marla Davies. Welcome to Woodstock Nation. Celebrating the revolution, evolution, and life-changing magic of music festivals from Woodstock to today. Each week I bring you interviews, recollections, and stories from musicians, concert promoters, influencers, music lovers, and festival goers about their love of music. The magic of music festivals and the power that music has that keeps bringing people out to celebrate together as a tribe. Since Woodstock, there have been so many festivals and it'd be hard fought to find somebody who hasn't been to one. Coachella, Bonnaroo, Outside Lands, 
Lockin', Lollapalooza, The Warp Tour, Bottle Rock, Cali Roots Day on the Green, Live Aid, The Us Festival, and Woodstock. What all these festivals have in common are the people who come out with one mission to let go, have a good time, join together, make memories, and listen to music and dance. That's the magic of music festivals. We've interviewed original Woodstock artists, musicians, and festival goers, and are looking forward to connecting with more people who resonate with the vibe. If you've ever enjoyed yourself at a music festival, you'll love Woodstock Nation. Check out Woodstock Nation on the Pantheon Podcast Network and wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Marla Davies for Woodstock Nation. Peace. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.